Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. Today I'm talking with Ida Evans, chef owner of Green Cuisine Personal Chef Service in Denver, Colorado. Ida, I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. I am excited. People right off the bat heard your accent. You are from Jakarta, Indonesia, and I am, I am so honored to be able to talk a little bit with you about your culture, about your history. I think it's very, very important. It's a mm -hmm. food, cuisine, and culture that I don't know enough, and I am such a geek that I'm always trying to know as much as possible. So I know everybody listening is going to get some value out of being inspired by and learning a little bit, just a little bit, about your culture. Mm -hmm. So okay. talk to us just a little bit about uh, Jakarta growing up in uh, Indonesia and specifically, you know, being immersed in that from a food perspective. Okay. Well, Jakarta is the capital of Indonesia. So actually, my parents come from South uh, Borneo. They call it Kalimantan now. And so they move, you know, to, to Jakarta after, you know, after they graduate from college and then a couple of years, I mean, I, I forgot like one or two years after that, they got married. And um, so Jakarta is like a, a melting pot. It's almost like New York where people from all over the country come from. And so then, you know, you can find, I mean, find any kind of cuisine that come from, you know, different parts of Indonesia. Indonesia is like when people talk about Indonesia, I mean, you know, it's so different like compared to like Malaysia or Thailand or uh, Singapore or even Korea because each province, because we, we, we use province, not a, not a state, right, um, has their own different um, cuisine. Like, for example, like in Sumatra, it's mostly using a lot of like, um, I think West Sumatra use a lot of like um, coconut milk and a lot of spices. And then the North Sumatra has a, a different spices that they don't even use in the West Sumatra. And then the South Sumatra is a little bit more like um, a lot of, you know, like a fish cake, you know, kind of like, have you ever, ever had the fish cake from Thailand? So it's kind of like that, but it's a little bit more thicker. And then in Java, the West Java has like more fresh, like they eat like more kind of like a, a raw vegetable more. And then the West, the, the Central Java is a little bit more sweeter. And then the East Java is like more seafood oriented. And then, you know, that's just a part of it. So it's so, it's so diverse. It's got so many different, uh, yeah. I mean, ethnicities, really diverse in its uh, religions and culture. Mm -hmm. Jakarta is mm -hmm. very Muslim as, as far as I understand. And so there's a lot of influence. And then mm -hmm. you have Dutch traders. I mean, it's when I started doing just a little bit of research, uh -huh. getting ready for this, I, it was overwhelming. I mean, it is really, <laughs> really diverse. It reminds me of, I mean, Chinese food, Mexican food, uh -huh. Filipino food, some of the more diverse 
food cultures yes. in the country. And so that was very, very interesting. I think it's one that we know very, very little about. Uh, yes. So I'm excited just hearing all that. I, I want all that. <laughs> I yeah. want the sumatra yeah. with the coconut milk. <laughs> I want the, the raw vegetable salads. I know there's a ton of really amazing fruits down there. So that's uh -huh. very, very exciting. Now, yep. Uh, I know that uh, uh, cooking was something that was really personal to you uh -huh. with uh, family, and I know we're going to touch on that a little bit. But I'm very mm -hmm. interested. The first job in the industry is always very important. Uh, your first job was in the front of house when you were uh, yes. 19 at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel. First, before you tell us about that experience specifically, I'm very interested why did you end up getting into the hospitality industry to begin with? Was it just cooking with your family at an early age that set tone and then you got into it or how did that happen? Well, I just love to cook because both of my parents are busy. They both working for the government. And then my grandmother, I mean, it's so interesting about her because, you know, during those old days, I mean, they were like a arranged marriage, you know? So my grandmother got married when she was 15 and she doesn't know anything. So my grandfather taught her. She didn't even know how to read and write. And my grandfather taught her how to read and write, and she even speak uh, Dutch and Japanese, just from my grandfather. And then, so my grandmother loved to cook, and so every time they visit, uh, you know, our family, she always like cook all kind of things, and I always like to watch her. And then um, I remember when I was eight years old, I'm like. Um, my mom and my dad has a lot of like social event because they both work for the government. So sometimes we got like 50 people come to the house. And um, so I learned how to cook from my grandmother and also from one of my aunt. And actually my nanny, when I was growing up, like when I was a baby till like I was about 10 years old, I think she, you know, she does all the cooking. So I always watch her and um, starting to learn from that. And I just, and then my dad always asked me to, you know, uh, because in Indonesia we have this tradition, like when my, my parents come home from work, so we have kind of like a, a, like a snack with tea or coffee. So I always end up making all those snacks for them. What's and that tradition how, called? Uh, it's kind of like a tea time. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Call it, yeah, but um. I, I don't know what we call it, but I, I forgot. I mean, I think it's just a tea time. So then, you know, like every, every day, like around five o'clock when they come home from work, we always have, you know, snack to drink with tea, mostly with tea. And then, you know, I always like open up magazine and try to, you know, make something new. And even I even cook for my own birthday several times. That's such, a, that's such a chef thing. We do that a lot, yeah. right? Like, all right, if we're going to have an amazing meal for our birthday, we're yeah. going to cook it ourselves because we want it to be an amazing meal. I like that that started at a young age. So actually what's interesting, uh, mm -hmm. just hearing this story and then, and then reading a little bit from you, mm -hmm. was that I was actually surprised that you were as old as 19 when you got in the industry because it seemed like you were going to be in it from the, the second they let you start working. So maybe why, why was it? 19 and why were you in the front of house versus much younger and in the kitchen that's uh, interesting to me well see uh one of my uh, goal when i was in middle school and high school one of my cousin and i we both like to cook but she does more of the baking stuff and i do more of the cooking stuff we want to open up a restaurant 
I'm, I'm not a, a not a restaurant. Uh, what do you call it? A catering service because at that time we don't have that many catering. Because I remember when one of my uncle got married, that my grandma brought a bunch of uh, her cousin to come to Jakarta to help us cook for like 1,500 people, and so. Um, so we were like, okay, let's open up a catering company because we don't have any. So I actually, I went to apply at a, a, hotel, a National Hotel Institute at that time. That's what they call it. It's a school that basically focus on a hotel industry and also the travel industry, uh, the tourism. And then I applied for the culinary part of it. And uh, the, so the food and beverage management is come as a backup, but I couldn't get in into the culinary part because they said at that time I was too small. Because I was only five feet. They said you were physically too small to be in the culinary. Exactly. Meaning, wow, meaning what? They didn't think you could lift the pots and pans? They, they exactly. <laughs> oh, man, talk about that level yeah. of prejudice that you faced. That, Interesting. Yeah, that's why, and I was like, you know, after a couple of months in a semester at school, and I saw like, you know, uh, there, there is only like five girls that got into culinary. And, you know, most of the other goes in, into the front of the office or the, for the food and beverage, which is like, you know, we're going to end up in the, in, you know, like managing the restaurant. And I was like, I was so disappointed, but there is nothing I can do about it, you know? So then I, that's why... Our school is like one year of school and then one year you have to, to go to the, you know, to the field to experience everything and then you have to write an essay about them. And so that's why I end up working as the, in the food and beverage as a way, I mean, you know, as a surfer in the be to begin with. And um, when I went back to the second years, you know, I have to go back to the food and beverage and then at that time, you know, my father was like, well, you know, he wants me to, you know, like a managing a hotel or whatever at that time. And he's like, well, you're going to America after your second year because uh, at that time we don't have any degree. Um, we don't have any bachelor degree for the hotel and restaurant management. So that's why I end up coming here. Um, and when I was at school here, I went to DU for their hotel restaurant management. Um, I met some of my friends that basically come from Indonesia, but, you know, we, at that time, we don't have any Indonesian restaurant, which we still don't have in, in Denver right now, and so they were like, oh, you like to cook, so sometimes, you know, we got together, and they were like, can you cook for us, so I did, I did it from my, my apartment, I cooked for some of my friends, and they just come to pick it up, I did that for a couple of years, and I was like, I just love cooking, you know? Yeah, um, I think, I, see, I knew, I knew when I was reading about you, and then seeing that you were in the front of house and you were 19 mm -hmm. years old, there had to be something to that. So I'm really, I'm really glad that I asked that because that's, I mean, that's fascinating. Like you were like, no, I want to cook. And they say, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I maybe expected that they say, well, this is man's work. You hear, you hear mm -hmm. prejudice, stuff like that. But they yeah. said that you were too short. I mean, that's unbelievable. And you showed them, huh? I think that's, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, <did. laughs> I love that. And that leads right into something else that I thought was interesting. And, and this is clearly speaks to your, your determination and your perseverance mm -hmm. is that you were also a singer and a gymnast. And I'm always fascinated when we have creative outlets outside of what we do in the kitchen. 
that maybe mm-hmm. kind of inform the way that we are as creatives in the kitchen and also mm-hmm. technicians in the kitchen, but also to be a gymnast and a singer, like you have to be willing to, to push through adversity. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that when they said you were too small, you were determined to show them different. And I love that. So talk yeah. about a little bit being a, a singer and a gymnast and maybe some of the, um, the resolve or the technique or the, the skills that you had, uh, acquired in those mm-hmm. two mediums that maybe you see applying in the kitchen these days? Yeah, well, I started, you know, um, you know, I mean, how it is like when you were in uh, elementary school, you know, your parents like ask you to like, you know, okay, do, do something, you know, outside of, you know, extracurricular activity. So I was, one thing that I forgot to mention, I was also a dancer, but it's like a traditional dance, you know, I, my teacher, my teacher is like one of my inspiration here. He teaches us since we were in the first grade through sixth grade. And he's the one that pushed me. He's like, do this. And then like, you know, putting me into acting and stuff like that. And then when I was in, um, so I did gymnastic for about, oh my gosh, maybe six years. And then uh, when I get into my middle school, it just got too busy because I also joined the band. Um, And then, um, you know, I mean, uh, then after I I joined the band in in high school, one of my friends approached me and they were like, oh, we're we're doing something, you know, with the the singing group. So then I did that. But the thing is like at that time, my parents, especially my mom, so against me to go into the entertainment industry. And so I have to do it behind behind her back, (laughs) which is like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I just found, you know, I mean, I, I mean, after, you know, after, you know, after living here for a couple of years and I just finally realized like some of my family, one of my cousins is in the band in Indonesia. And also my son actually went to Berkeley College of Music and now he's, you know, um, building up his career in music. And we, I just found out that we are like from a family of a creative people, you know, and one thing that I learned from the gymnastic that I use in the kitchen is how to use my body to carry stuff because, you know, when I did my apprenticeship, I mean, you know, you know how it is in the kitchen. They don't look at you if you are female or male. You have to do the same amount of work like your male, you know, worker. I mean, not male, I mean, your, your, your you know, your uh, co-worker. And so one time they asked me to pick up like a, 20 pound of potato from the basement to go up and then I did it you know I was like I can do this you know (laughs) um yeah you have that determination to push mm -hmm. through physical boundaries Mm -hmm. I think is something and I loved hearing that uh the creativity that you have that is showcased in multiple ways bringing that into kitchens Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's fascinating anytime people have musical outlets, have dance, have things like that. I think mm-hmm. if we can bring that in the kitchen, it, it rounds out our game, which is always really mm-hmm. nice. And I also, I liked hearing that you're like, I'm going to do it behind my mom's back because we're a little bit rebels in the kitchen as well. <laughs> so you clearly had that rebellious spirit and I'm sure that has both served you well and, mm-hmm. uh, and been a, a detriment in the kitchen plenty of times because uh, yes. it's a strength <laughs> and a weakness of us for sure. So absolutely love hearing that. And I'm going to move way forward in time because I just want people to kind of know who you are and very clear to me how important 
being a mother of two is to you and mm-hmm. and being a father of two i know it's everything like being able to cook with my sons or mm-hmm. my sons love to shuck raw oysters and eat oysters mm-hmm. i mean it's mm-hmm. like amazing i'm so proud mm-hmm. as a Papa Chef. And so I think mm-hmm. that was clear to you. And it also informed the way that you are within your business, mm-hmm. wanting to really inspire people culturally and cook food that's nourishing for mm-hmm. your family and for their family. So maybe touch on that a little bit, what it means for you to be a mother of two and cooking within your family. Well, actually, my my children, my son and my daughter and my husband was my inspiration to become a chef. Um, because, you know, when I went to school here, I mean, you know, end up after two years in hotel restaurant management, I just hate it. I hate, you know, supervising people. And I'm like, you know, I just don't like just, you know, I mean, the management type. I mean, I don't know. Man, I mean, side of it, I don't really like it. I just like to be the behind the scene kind of person, you know. And so after I have my, I have my children, I decided to stay home. Uh, when my son went to, I mean, elementary school and my daughter too. I mean, the school that they went to is basically we have to do a lot of volunteering. And I met a lot of mother that basically feeding their children food that, you know, is not healthy, you know, like a fast food type of things. And I'm like, you know, um, this is not right, you know. And then I, one of my friends invited me to join the wellness committee at the, at the school district. And that's when I'm trying to push me and a bunch of like other mother trying to push the school to provide a healthy um, lunch for the children. And that's when like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my friends was like, Ira, you need to go back to culinary. And, and at that time, you know, I couldn't do it because, you know, most of the school, the culinary school, like, you know, six hours a day and sometimes they said 12 hours a day. And then I have to like, you know, uh, take care of my children, my, my husband works, so I have to like take them to all their activities. And um, so I end up enrolling in the Culinary Business Academy that basically teaching us to become a personal chef. So I started in 2007 and then 2008, I opened up my own business. But at that time, I'm still doing it kind of like a part-time basis, you know. And then because of the, of the involvement with the wellness committee, one of my friends said, Ira, you need to talk to uh, Joan, <coughs> which is the ACF uh, director. I was like, That's so, Joan Brewster, right? Yeah, Joan Brewster. And then okay, she, yeah. uh, at that time, I'm, I'm really like, you know, uh, really want to be involved with the chef move to school. And I felt like, you know, with just a culinary business academy, you know, certificate, I, you know, I, I need something else because I never really... I mean, I usually, I just teach myself how to cook and I just look at the recipe and then sometimes I watch show, you know, just try to see what they're doing. And then I bought some book. And then so she told me, Joan told me about the apprenticeship. So I uh, joined the apprenticeship in 2011 to 2013. That's how I met Jason Morse, which is like one of my teacher. And that's when I started to like really, really, I mean, enjoying this cooking you know it's just like i, I mean I, I i got um exposed to you know working in some restaurant i mean i was interning in some of the restaurant and then i was working you know in some hospital and i'm like um you got hooked really like this yeah i think that's great and i love that the children inspiration for that and your husband the inspiration for that because i think it's mm-hmm. important it's a challenge always to bring food to the forefront that isn't the norm, right? And so mm-hmm. you said there's not an Indonesian restaurant in Denver, Colorado. There should be. There needs to be, right? Mm-hmm. And 
So you're finding ways to nourish your family, nourish your community, be inspired by cooking generally, and then very mm -hmm. specifically with Indonesian food, which mm -hmm. I absolutely love. Thank you for sharing that, which leads us right into mm -hmm. a game that I, we always play, our best served on icebreaker games. A little fun way for us to geek out a little bit, learn something mm -hmm. new. You've already kind of given us some nice little nuggets about mm -hmm. Indonesia and some of the food. Unbelievable how much diversity there is, which we touched mm -hmm. on. So we're going to play a little game called Selamat Makan. How did mm -hmm. I do? Did I pronounce that all right? Selamat Makan. Selamat Makan. All right. For everyone, that means basically enjoy your meal in Indonesian. Mm -hmm. I was excited to just Think about the dishes that I have actually had, Indonesian mm -hmm. dishes that I've had, and some of the more famous dishes. But it's mm -hmm. unbelievable when you look at, you mentioned just the different regionality. And I mean, you have mm -hmm. Javanese, you mentioned the Sumatran, Balinese, Sudanese, mm -hmm. Malay, Minang. There's even mm -hmm. Polynesian and Melanesian. There's the Muslim mm -hmm. influence, the Dutch mm -hmm. trader influence, Japanese mm -hmm. influence, Chinese, like it goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And you see that diversity across the board. So what I wanted to do is just give people five dishes that are really iconic, that are, again, a couple of the dishes that I've had. Interested just why they're very important to you personally and to the country, the culture as a whole. Just get people excited and inspired to learn more and maybe go out and try and find some of these dishes. So mm -hmm. wanted to start with satay. Well, satay, it, you know, it's made either with chicken, beef, or goat or um you know those are just like the the standard one that like everybody in indonesia know is basically you know has like garlic and shallot and coriander um and the ketchup manis which is the sweet soya sauce and then um lime juice and then they just marinate them and then they put it in the skewer it's kind of like a kebab and then with the peanut sauce but then also there is a fish satay that come in Bali that basically they, they puree the fish and they put some um, coconut and then some, uh, I think some coriander and garlic and shallot and some other spices. And that's like a different type of satay. And then also the Chinese influence, they have the satay babi, which is babi mean pig, pork. So then, you know, those are like, it has a, like a different marinade and also different sauce too that come with it but like i think it's like um every part of the indonesia has their own satay version of it and why is that form so important i mean it's very street food yeah. is there something about cooking over the fire why is is that form of dish so iconic across all of indonesia i think it's because of the the weather too because it's hot all the time and then most of the time people they they selling it like a street food you know like i remember when i was little there is this guy that always like you know like around dinner time he'll just like go around the the neighborhood and just say satay satay you know and then we just like call him and then he'll make the satay right in front of us and usually it's cooked with a, a charcoal instead of the the barbecue, like, you know, the one in here, like those gas barbecue. So um, it just, um, a, I think it's like every, um, I don't know, it's, uh, it's so, it's just a, a common food, I guess, you know. Um, and I don't know why it's so popular, um, because I think because everybody has their own, um, I mean, it's, it's almost like a hamburger, I think, you know, because everybody 
have their own um, you know way of cooking it and then like every neighborhood has this street um, food I mean it's not like a street food stall but it's like this guy just like walk around with these things that they, they push uh, to sell the satay. There needs to be more meat on sticks. I'm very happy that uh-huh. it is really a national dish. All right. So another dish yeah. that people probably, potentially, I should say, have heard of uh-huh. is rendang. Rendang is like a braised beef with like coconut milk and all kind of spices. I think it's because the, 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 the combination of the spices and it's like, it cooks for a long, long time, and it, I mean, it just tastes so good. I mean, my husband loves the rendang the most from every Indonesian food that he tries. Um, and it's just, and then there is like in, in, in Jakarta, and there is this called Restaurant Padang, which is like, re, uh, it is this restaurant that has like all kind of things, you know, um, all, I mean, all kind of like different food, and then rendang is like their most famous one. I think it's because of the taste of it, because all the combination of the spices that make this rendang so different and so special, and then it took you along. The real traditional one, it took you about 8 to 12 hours to cook. So it's that classic braised mm-hmm. meat mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. thick sauce. The coconut milk very much speaks to that flavor profile and spices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that dish... Absolutely love it. I mean, one of my favorite, favorite Indonesian food for sure. And again, mm-hmm. my, my experience is limited. The one of the best dishes, period. All right, now mm-hmm. we're going to get into some dishes that I'm guessing a lot of people have not heard of. Nasi goreng. Well, the nasi goreng is, um, is like our breakfast food. I mean, you know, like when you cook, um, I remember in my family, we always cook everything fresh, you know, like uh, we don't cook in a, a big amount, but but usually it's kind of like um, rice and vegetable and the meat. And we always end up having enough rice, right? So then the next day, what we usually do is make it into nasi goreng. And um, when we went to Bali, um, you know, that's what the first thing, you know, you see on the breakfast menu is nasi goreng. And then again, you know, every, um, every you know, every different province has their own, uh, take on nasi goreng. Like one of our example in Jakarta, we have the nasi goreng kambing. Kambing means goat. So it has a lot of like spices. The regular nasi goreng is basically just shallot, garlic, um, chili, um, you know, the fresh chili and a tomato. And sometimes we put tomato ketchup and then we put terasi, which is the, the shrimp uh, paste. And a little bit of the sweet soya sauce. And then sometimes we put some vegetables. Sometimes we put some meat. Whatever we have extra from the night before. That's what we usually end up making it into the nasi goreng. I really liked what I had was stale rice. And then you kind of crisp it up in the pan. And it reminds mm-hmm. me, Italians have it. The Koreans have it. There's a lot of mm-hmm. that crispy and then creamy on top. So I'm a big fan of that texture. Mm-hmm. It felt like that dish was very much about texture and the mm-hmm. technique. And then you kind of just throw whatever in, into the yeah. mix, which, which I mm-hmm. love that. Another dish, soto. Soto is kind of like a soup. Um, but then again, you know, like everybody have their own different version of it. Like in Sumatra, they are very famous with the, especially the one where, the, you know, the rendang come from the West Sumatra. They, they have this beef soto which is basically is like uh, when you like kind of like making a soup, but then uh, the soto will come with like uh, usually like a, a chop of like celery, 
and then we use those um, noodle, the clear noodle, the one that made from yam, and then usually a boiled egg, and then we put some kind like a, a fried shallot on the top of it, and then we eat it with the chili sauce. I'm inspired. I'm excited. I am starving right now <laughs> to have some of these dishes, and I know people listening are now going to know just a little bit more about Indonesian foods. Try and go out there and try some of it and maybe mm -hmm. even somebody is inspired to open an indonesian restaurant because <laughs> I because so. i know at least you and i you and i will go if nobody else goes <laughs> you and i are there front row i love it let's go back to some people you touched on your grandmother but i want to talk about your grandmother a little bit more because grandmothers are so important mm -hmm. generally but so often are so important when it comes to raising the next generation. You see it very, very often in a lot of cultures. Mm -hmm. And actually, the American culture is one of the few cultures that this is not the case. But grandparents mm -hmm. are raising children a lot mm -hmm. because parents are out there working hard, mm -hmm. working multiple jobs a lot of times. Very much an American story of the immigrant story. So I'm very mm -hmm. fascinated by that, very inspired by that. Let's talk a little mm -hmm. bit more about your grandmother. Tell us her name and then tell us some of some of who she was, I like isms, the things that mm -hmm. she did, the way that she taught you, the way that she was in the kitchen. And mm -hmm. especially if there's, you see yourself doing some of those things and channeling your grandmother. So tell us her name and then tell us a little bit about her. Her name is Siti, it's S-I-T-I, and then her, her uh, we don't have any last name back home, so her middle name is Romla, R-O-M-L-A-H. Um, like I mentioned, you know, my, my mom was a lawyer. I mean, you know, uh, to start with, she was a criminal lawyer when I was little. And then she worked for the Justice Department after that. So basically, both of my parents are so busy all the time. So when my grandma come to visit, um, you know, she always like, we were like, oh, my mom was like, can we, you make this? Can you make that? So then she is just, I don't know something about my grandmother. Like I told you that she never really went to a formal school. Um, and she just has this passion about learning. So, you know, from not knowing how to read and write to be able to read and write and also to speak a different languages. And when she cooks, she cooks with passion. She just put all her love into it. My grandfather just, you know, loved her cooking and, um, you know, they're like so romantic, I guess, you know, because, they, you know, they didn't fall in love in, to begin with, you know, they, they were arranged marriage, but then they just grew uh, as a couple and he just, he always like, um, he really cherished her. And then so yeah. then he just like, it just give me, I don't know, every time I remember them, it just like make me feel so happy inside and, you know, and she just show her love through cooking because, you know, she, she raised 12 children. 12 so, children. 12 children. Actually, my mom was a twin, but her twin brother passed away after, I, I think after a couple of days after he, he, they were born. But they, you know, he just, I mean, so she, that's, what, that's how she, she um, you know, um, I don't know, express her love by cooking for us. And she always teach me anything. She always like, you know, we are, I, when we were in the kitchen, she always like telling us, telling me a story. And then like, you know, at that time, like I mentioned before, we, you know, that, that was 1970s, I think. We don't have any catering company. 
and so see you know well like when she organized that dinner for the the wedding reception for my uncle uh, like like i said 1500 people um it was there was there was 1500 people at your 1500. uncle's wedding yeah my 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 wedding has about that many people too um that is unbelievable <laughs> I, I don't think I've met 1,500 people in my life, let alone <laughs> would have invited them to, all to a wedding. Is that is that a very cultural thing? Like, you know, because we were back home, it's like so close with the, our family. Like, you know, my my reception, I have 1,500 people, but my wedding itself, there is 300 people that come to my wedding. And it was just, you know, and I remember like how she... Uh, supervised like about 20 people that come from all of you know from uh from back you know where my parents come from to you know cook for all this uh food for the wedding i mean we have like maybe i said between 15 to 20 different dishes and I everyone, everyone that, came for the food they they and, know that they're gonna yeah. get a good meal so family is hacking them in there and i guess if yeah. people are having 12 children it's a lot of aunties <laughs> and uncles and the fact that so much of who you are today is really coming from that. Got to hear about this aunt. Tell us about your aunt. Tell us her name and then maybe uh, some of the impact she had on you. Her name is, we call her Yaya. That's a and perfect she, auntie name, isn't it? Yeah. Yaya. She actually, she, she used to be a doctor, you know. Um, I mean, she was a doctor. She passed away a couple of years ago from Alzheimer. And one thing about my, my mom family is my grandfather was so progressive thinking at that time. He... At that time, my mom was telling me the story that, you know, most of her, her cousin got married when they were like 17 years old. But my grandfather was like, uh -uh, no, you guys are going to go to college. My mom actually was the first women lawyer in the uh, island of uh, Borneo. And my Aunt Yaya was the, the first female doctor in that, in that uh, island too. And she just loved to cook. And in, in, a, in and she... Also, you know, at that time, she doesn't live in Jakarta. She lives in another island. So she came like a couple of months, you know, F F I mean, a couple of times a year to just take a cooking lesson. So usually after she take this cooking lesson, I will be the one that waiting in front of the grass to wait for her to come, to come back and then bring me all the recipe and then we'll try different recipe together. And actually, I end up the one that, you know, inheriting all the recipe from her. I still have you, some of a recipe. <laughs> oh, I, I love that. It's very obvious you have been surrounded by and are just powerful women. Mm -hmm. Like that is clearly, I'm especially excited to see what your daughter does because she's going to inherit that level of strength <laughs> and to have the first doctor, first lawyer. I mean, and to be so passionate about food, I mean, that's mm -hmm. your, your family, uh, uh your grandfather set the tone for powerful women and your yeah. grandmother. I, I love it. Love, love it. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm the, I'm I, the, I, I almost I'm don't the, want to move on from your family, yeah. but you mentioned Jason Morris. I don't know how Jason, who I know, um, mm -hmm. is going to stand up to all these amazing women that have impacted <laughs> you. Uh, but tell us a little bit about uh, Jason Morris and he was your instructor and, and he's uh -huh. gone on to do some some great stuff with his own culinary company so tell us a little uh -huh. bit about the impact that jason morse had on you oh you know how he is he just like come out like you know i mean sometimes people think that 
oh my gosh, you know, what is this guy doing, you know, like bragging and about himself and whatever. But like, um, I like the, the things about, I mean, he just, he shared a lot of story in, during the class about, you know, his uh, journey to become a chef and his principle, you know, which, um, you know, give me more confidence and he will tell you as it is. He's not going to cover up, you know, like one time during one of the practice for our test. Um, I didn't, I guess one of my hair got in into the, uh, what is that? This is again the one that um, is like a base for all the French dishes. I forgot the name of it, but like it has onion, celery, and bacon, uh, and I think carrot. And we have to cut it into a, like a, a small dice. I, I, I forgot the name of it, but he was like, he, he called me. He's like, Ira, come in here. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you know what? He's like, I know you, you're, you're a hard worker, but he said, um, if the test is today, you're not going to pass. And I'm like, what happened? He's like, I found a hair. I'm like, oh, shoot. And then so it just like, he's like, I know you can do this. And then I know I believe in you. And I was just like, I mean, he's like, I don't know. He, I mean, his style of like talking and the way, the way he like, uh, you know, instruct us is just like, it giving me a lot of confidence and then also make me more aware of what, what I need to do to make things happen. He's got a little that gave you some tough love where he's going to tell you mm -hmm. how it is, mm -hmm. but he's also going to do it in a way that makes you feel like you want to improve. It seems yes. like. Uh -huh. And the thing is, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, because I grew up in a culture where like, you know, women are like more submissive or whatever. And I'm, I, I used to like argue with my mom and my grandma and my aunt all the time about you know what I believe in and I probably one of the probably if you ask some of my cousin I probably the black sheep in the family because I'm the one who went out did everything on my own and I like to do things I don't like people telling me what to do to tell you the truth um that's why I don't like, you know, like uh, telling, I mean, like managing people too. Um, but I'm just like, it gave me a lot of confidence that I know I can do it. And that's what I got from Jason during the two years of the apprenticeship. And where was that? What was the, the schooling that you were part of? Oh, with the ACF apprentice, apprenticeship in the, the class was in the Metro um, State Metropolitan State College, the one in uh, downtown by the Marriott. Um, so you know we got like a certification as a sous chef when we finished the the program for two years. We touched on you're a little bit rebellious and you're part of a family of strong women, so that showed itself. And I think again, going back to some of kind of who you are, the singer, the mm -hmm. gymnast, you're also very driven. So you're not going to let that hold you back. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to take the criticism and use it as fuel to push mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely critical for people in kitchens. You've got to yes. be driven. You have to be a little bit, you have to have a little bit of ego, right? Like yes, you have to have I a do. little bit of ego in the kitchen. Everybody does, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. as long as you channel it thoughtfully and exactly. keep it in check, then it's mm -hmm. a strength. Otherwise, a lot of us, myself included, you can spin off your axis if you get a little too high 
on your mm-hmm. own supply, I think mm-hmm. for sure. Love mm-hmm. that. Uh, um, I know Jason's going to get a kick out of hearing that <laughs> little story. All right. My favorite part of the show, when we get an opportunity so important on the Best Serve podcast to really continue to acknowledge more and more people. And we always like to nominate one of our unsung hospitality heroes, somebody that is somebody you want to recognize that means a lot to you. So tell us mm-hmm. who that is. For me, is um, during my class, I met Maggie Cates. Uh, she's one of my classmates. Maggie is very adventurous. So then we used to do a lot of, we used to do like a lot of uh, molecular gastronomy, you know, like, okay, let's try to do this. And then I bought a book by Grand Akas and then by, also by Ferian, I mean, Adrian Feria uh, from El Bulli. And so we, we try to do a lot of things there. And Maggie actually started her own uh, catering service at that time. And then after a couple of years, decided to sell it and then uh, travel around the world. She just come back from Antarctica to become a sous chef for a couple of months uh, under contract there. And then I think one of her dream is to open up her own Airbnb. Not, not anywhere in bed and breakfast. Um, but, you know, Maggie and I, we just fit each other. We just fit each other creativity. We fit each other, um, you know, to inspire each other, you know, to be good in the kitchen. And um, we also do a lot of things that just kind of like, you know, build each other up. And that's one thing I always look at people. Um, we, as a society, we need to build each other up instead of like tearing each other down and criticizing each other. Do you know what I mean by that? I could um, not agree more. That's literally why this, this show exists is that. The thesis that I have is we in the industry and maybe at large as humans need mm-hmm. focus on and value why and who before what and how. It's so mm-hmm. easy in the industry to focus on the minutia of what we do and how we do it and thinking that that's what gives us an advantage and that's the skill mm-hmm. that we have. But mm-hmm. why we get out of bed in the morning and who we serve and who we're doing this for and who keeps us mm-hmm. motivated day in mm-hmm. and day out like your children, like Maggie, like the memory of your family and Mm -hmm. your culture that's Mm -hmm. what really needs to be the driving force behind the purpose in our industry so i hear Mm -hmm. you a hundred percent and i love that you have somebody like maggie that's going to push you and pull you and push you and pull you and inspire Mm -hmm. you and challenge you and those things are very important generally speaking i think it's very important very Mm -hmm. very important to have people that do that for you i also Mm -hmm. we've we've touched on on gender roles quite a bit in this show and the fact that you have another strong woman that -hmm. you have trust and confidence in to be Mm -hmm. able to be both strong and vulnerable with. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's so, it's so important. So I love hearing about Maggie and the fact that she's inspiring you and the fact that she's, you know, you're coming from another country and bringing Mm -hmm. that experience. Now she's gone to a completely different world i mean uh, antarctica is like a completely planet basically (laughs) and so she's inspiring you in that way so i Mm -hmm. love that and i'm excited to get an opportunity to talk to maggie because Mm -hmm. i love hearing all the isms and you had some great stories to tell i can't wait for a couple stories about ide from maggie which is going to be very exciting so that brings us to we're, we're already giving people some important things to keep in mind and live by but we always like to end with a little little quote some words to live by and i mean you nailed it 
a Bruce mm-hmm. Lee quote doesn't get much better than that. And you say, he says, but you channel this saying of, do not pray for an easy life. Pray mm-hmm. for the strength to endure a difficult one. Tell us what that means to you. Well, uh, you know, throughout, you know, my career, you know, like uh, to become a chef, you know, which I always want to do since I was little. Um, I went through a lot of things, you know. I mean, I can be bitter about it, uh, but I choose not to. Um, so I look at it, okay, you know, at that time at the, at the, in, in Indonesia, I couldn't get in into culinary school. So, but I proved myself here, I can do it. And then the last 10 years, you know, I went through a lot. My husband uh, had, uh, was diagnosed with cancer about four years ago. And it was um, just, uh, you know, at the peak of my career. One thing that I always pray to God is to give me strength to, to, to deal with all the difficulty in life. Because I, like I told my children, both of them, and I said, you know what? Life is not going to be easy. Um, you know, my son is uh, starting his, uh, his career in music. I mean, that's like one of the hardest, you know, industry to get into, you know. But I think with, if you believe in yourself, your confidence, and then you know that, you know, uh, how you deal with things that are thrown your way uh, with grace and with um, determination, you can overcome everything. I mean, don't tell me that everybody, somebody will have an easy life from when they were born till they, were, they die. There is no way <laughs> in this world that everybody is going to have a smooth life. And so I think by, you know, when, I, when you asked me about, you know, what kind of quote, what quote that, you, that I hold on to it, and I was like, huh. I mean, I try to find somebody that, you know, say it. I mean, I found that quote and I'm like, well, this is what I always believe in since the beginning. Um, that, you know, to be successful in this life, you have to endure all the hard, you know, <laughs> the, 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 exp- the hard experience. Um, then you can come out, you know, with it at the end. Jay Evans, thank you for being on the show. And we're back, everybody. Talking with Maggie Cates, who is one of ERA's unsung hospitality heroes. We talk about Antarctica. We talk about woofing. And we talk a little bit about starting your own business with the support of friends in the industry. Take a listen. I'm originally from upstate New York, Syracuse. Um, Yeah, nothing too exciting. I uh, lived in Denver, though, the last nine years and currently in New Mexico for another week. (laughs) I just want to tease it again. Uh, Antarctica is something that uh, (laughs) we talked about. Oh, yeah. Give Give us just like 14 seconds of Antarctica to set the tone. So when we come back and do your episode, people are like, I need to hear more about cooking in Antarctica because that's crazy. So cooking on an ice shelf, 200 meters of ice beneath me, um, figuring out how to get water, how to get product, um, how to feed between 20 and 150 people a day without knowing who's going to show up and what the weather's going to do. Um, and just making people happy. So um, most of the food is canned or frozen. So working with that kind of product and still 
keeping like my morals as a chef and pride as a chef um, and all in support of science. So really freaking cool experience and I'm going back. <laughs> it's basically the, the hugest challenge you could imagine being a chef. Um, super fascinating. All right, we're gonna table that because people gotta come back <laughs> in a few months when we do your episode and I'm excited to dig into Antarctica. Yes, actually. So I had plenty of experience in college um, with catering and waitressing and all that. And then realizing after studying abroad that I wanted, you know, food to be my life. So after graduating with a communications degree, I got a management job at a Denny's. Denny's. So <laughs> paid off my school loans, um, learned like the corporate style of business and Sadly, I didn't learn anything great about food, but <laughs> as far as the business side of things, um, it was a really great experience to start me on the right path. I think it's important. I think sometimes we, we cast judgment when you get to a certain level or a certain esteem or these type of high-end restaurants you know, that you have, have experience in. And uh, I love when somebody tells me, like, my first job was at McDonald's. It's like, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> Because it, it yeah. all came from came from somewhere, and it's it's super important to to never forget that when we get all high food yeah. in our quest for being chefs. What are you working on currently? Kind of just a a middle. I I wasn't expecting to come back from Antarctica quite so early. I I should be getting back right now. Um, my grandma was sick, so I came home um, to the states a little bit early to help her, and so I moved. Um, the last few weeks to New Mexico to be with my boyfriend, who's also a chef, and he and I are leaving next week out of Denver to travel to the Netherlands, um, Greece, and Egypt, and we're kind of doing like a culinary journey slash appreciating life and what we've like worked hard for. Um, actually getting out there, we're going to do some woofing on a farm in the Netherlands, so it's a permaculture farm. They actually sell a lot of their plants to local restaurants so that's really cool they do they're starting to do a bunch of pop-ups so we're just really excited to get involved with other communities as well and we're both working on building a uh, travel chefing business so it's totally in the works um we're hoping to figure that out along through our travels that's unbelievable my younger sister just graduated from santa rosa college and she's going to be woofing in Greece. Been learning a lot about it because it's funny as a chef, I am guilty of not being as connected to the land as I should be. And so my younger sister is kicking my ass every once. Purika, you need to know how to grow it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, you totally. grow it, it's I'll just, cook it. Yeah. I mean, it it seriously makes all the difference. Like I've worked on a few farms now, um, like in Italy and Spain, and it just it makes you appreciate it so much more and um, understand how to really like highlight each thing, the taste and, you know, different techniques that like the people use from where it's actually grown. And yeah, I don't know. It just makes my passion like go that much deeper. So it's really, I appreciate it. <laughs> I can already see your episode taking shape. We're going to be talking about adverse <laughs> situations. We're going to be talking about travel because clearly that is embedded in you. A bit about mm -hmm. The relationship with Ira, she was so excited to talk about you, so excited about the relationship, <laughs> how she wants to travel like you, how, you know, you are challenging her, how it's, she comes from a 
clearly a background of strong women. That was a, a predominant theme mm -hmm. of her story, herself being strong, uh, and then having somebody like you to challenge her, to support her, to balance, to talk about their relationship in an industry that can kick your ass. Oh my gosh, Ira is an amazing human. I feel so lucky. We did our culinary program together, the um, uh, ACF in Denver. And actually I felt like her and I in that program were kind of like the underdogs. Like maybe it was being a woman, but maybe it was both just, you know, we were kind of timid, um, but we both have that like strong spirit. And I think, you know, after we noticed each other and then, you know, she had already had her business at the time, but she went back because she wanted just a better foundation, like the accreditation. Um, but like once we became friends and I think it literally was just seeing each other trying to be different than everyone, like that bonded us. And then, you know, she, I definitely attribute starting my catering business to era because she, like, like I said, we once we made that bond, like we would go out to eat and just like pick menus and, you know, treat ourselves and talk about it. And like, how can we create this in our business? Like her personal chefing, my catering, very similar. And both just pushing and totally pushing each other in that way. And whenever we had events or um, a client that we just didn't know how to approach, usually the other one had probably approached something like that. And like there was never a no or let's not do this or we can't do this. It was like, yeah, how do we make this happen? And just being able to bounce ideas off each other and know that we had that support really just, I think, built, built us up together. And then we just had that all the time. Like to know that you have someone um, on your side, regardless of what's going on. You know, she had a lot of things happening in her personal life that she was dealing with and um, you know, just having that person. Yeah. It totally makes all the difference in being successful and, you know, spreading the goodness that, or whatever you have to offer the world. And for both of us, fortunately it's our love for food and cooking and, you know, watching people um, eat and enjoy their time together because of, you know, what we've brought as like that center point and, Oh my gosh, that could go on for years about Europe. <laughs> really resonate with me when I'm listening to you is you were very much at the same place. And this is interesting to me because within the hierarchy within kitchens, as well as just the place we are in our lives is so vast. And so sometimes it's hard to connect because we're at different places. You're right out of culinary school. You've been in the industry for 20 years. You find yourself at different levels. So sometimes that's where you sometimes aren't as connected. And it's clear that you, get, you two have been really pushing each other because you're at the, the same levels. You're looking eye to eye. You know, sometimes it's easy yeah. to, to talk up to people or down to people in the industry. And that was very, very clear to me listening to her speak as well you two were rising at the same level. It seems like a little thing, but it's pretty important. That was very, very clear in talking now to both of you. That is crystallized, so I appreciate that. Give us a, a story about Ira. Some ism, something you remember, something you'll never forget, a funny story, inspiring. What is something that just encapsulates? Yep, that's her. Oh my gosh, so I'm sure you could get from speaking with her and 
whatever your experience was before, but Ira is just like a high energy, like she talks so much. And so in our culinary program, actually like our, you know, it was like a bunch of young twenties, maybe thirties students. And then Ira, who's a little bit older. And so we constantly, you know, teased her that (laughs) she was drinking in class because she was just like, so chatty, like you would get when you're, you've taken the edge off and that's just, fully her but so I I remember just like going out or walking down um like we constantly walked from the convention center to our school and Ira would just (laughs) be yapping away and sometimes you can't get a a word in edgewise but it's just she's so high energy and again that like really the people who are around her like get that energy and like you want to just run with it because you're like yeah 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 and she's always like, yes, you can do this. Yes, you can do this. So I don't know if that's like an eraism, but totally that like high energy, um, chit chatty kind of person. Um, that's what I always think about with her and tease about, you know, whenever I'm like with somebody and Ira's not there, we're like, you're sounding like Ira. You're so excited. <laughs> infectious people are infectious for a reason, right? Their energy really captivates people. I think that's super interesting. It's it's funny. There was there was a moment at the beginning of potentially having her on the show to give people a little glimpse behind the curtain. We were talking with the producer. Is her English good? I had to ask her. I was like, I was like, I have no judgment, and I think we need more accents on this show. Do you feel comfortable talking for forty five minutes, an hour, in English? And she was basically. I could just imagine her saying fuck yeah. Like I'm so down. And she was so excited about it. And it was just one of these funny like things that you just kind of had to ask. And she was just all about it and fearless. Like when I hear you talking, she's just yeah, fearless, fearless a hundred percent. And that was just clear from the onset. She's like, yep, I'm all in. I truly appreciated that because sometimes there's multiple layers of, of, you know, imposter syndrome and the, the judgment that's cast within just being human or within the industry, things like that. And so sometimes you, you mentioned the both of you being timid, which I was like, I, I don't believe that at all for a second, but just kind of yeah. <laughs> taking your time to understand how to navigate the uh, landscape. And, and once she has that confidence, she's going to jump in. And her stories were awesome. I told her after the episode, I was like, you just jump right in and tell a, a story that oh, yeah. <laughs> articulates whatever point you're trying to make. And I was like, that's so perfect. So she's a storyteller and she's trying to do that through a culture, through her food. So I'm excited yeah. for both of you. I appreciate you being on the show, telling us a little bit about yourself as well as the relationship era, because again, those relationships are everything. Maggie Cates, thank you for being they on are. the show. Thank you, Jensen. It was great to talk to you and I can't wait to catch up on more podcasts. So, Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.